Welcome. I'm Jessica Tejan, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. I want to welcome our listeners back to this week's episode of Evolving to Exceptional. We have with us today Vicki Oliver. She is a leading career development expert and a multi bestselling author of five different books. Vicki, I would love to have you tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you got to where you are, and why it is you do what you do. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's very nice of you. I started my career in the advertising business. And I was, I actually started as a receptionist. And I grew over time into a creative director. And while I was in advertising, growing in it, people would come into my office. At a certain point, I got to a point where I was hiring people. And they would walk into my office. And they would have no idea who I was or who our clients were or any information about the ad agency itself. Like they'd roll in five minutes late with apologies and just say, hey, I'm a really great copywriter or whatever, because I was always on the creative end. And like about a thousand times, I thought to myself, buddy, you are blowing this. (laughs) And I have to write a book about this. And at the same time, because advertising is always such a revolving door, I myself was always looking for jobs and I was out there pounding the pavement and I was reading job hunting books, such as the one that I wrote. And I was thinking to myself, these people who write these books have never actually looked for a job, but I actually have looked for a job. I have pounded the pavement and I am therefore an expert on pounding the pavement. So between my pounding the pavement expertise and the fact that I was growing in all the different moves I did, I said to myself, I've got to write this book. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'm writing it. And so I wrote this book. And of course, at that point, the publishing companies were like, who is she? She's never written anything. We don't want to publish this person. And I was like, but I've written hundreds of advertisements. (laughs) I have written ads. I have written radio spots. What are you talking about? I'm a writer. I'm a writer. But anyway. That's how I got into it. And I wanted it to be like a real guide to actually what it's like, actually what it's like. And then in that book, which was called 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions, I included my email, my real email. And I said, I have 301 answers here, but maybe you have a different question. And I asked people if they wanted to, they could write to me with their questions. So I gave people like one free question. That's how I got into this book and also how I did all the other books because it opened up for me like all this research. I found out about all these different careers and people's issues and what they were experiencing at the workplace. I, I love that. And I love the titles to your different books, Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and Other Office Idiots. I love the smart answers to tough business adequate questions. They're just really great, I think, helpful and practical guides for people that oftentimes the guidance we get is anything but practical when it comes to those questions. Can you maybe share one of those smart answers to tough interview questions? What is something that that you found was a, a tough question people were facing? 
Okay, so I think a tough question is anything that gets at a hole in your particular career. So maybe somebody, and this is like multiple questions, but maybe somebody has taken off 10 years from their career to raise a child. And then somebody says, there's a 10 year gap here on the resume. Or maybe somebody was let go from their job or even fired from their job and someone said, you were fired from your job. What went down there? That type of question is very off-putting because it immediately puts the poor interviewee on the defensive. There you are, and you have to explain to this person like a decade of your life or why you got fired or something. And it's very tricky, especially I'd say like, why were you fired is like the worst one because as a job seeker, you really should not badmouth anybody in your field. It's going to get back to the person if you do. You have to, you can't just say I had a bad boss or something. You have to explain like the circumstances that led to it. If it was truly that you were fired or were you actually let go with other people, in which case there really isn't a stigma to it. You have to explain like how many other people lost their job on the same day and then do it in such a way where you don't come across as being defensive or angry. And then how you will bring what you learned forward to the next job. So it's a very complicated thing. And to some extent, I always say in my books, like practice with a friend, take my book, write down the questions and the answers that you think are going to be asked, practice with a friend. But then at the end of the day, you just have to know your life <laughs> and be able to share that part of it with a complete stranger in a way where they like you and they want to move forward with you. So it's very like challenging to do that. Now, some people, there's another question out there that's, Oh, um, why are you good for this job? Like that type of thing. That's just explaining to somebody why you fit in. But depending on the tone of voice that somebody asks that question, it can also seem off-putting too. But the whole thing with job hunting is connecting with the person. That's going to be the key because if you're in the room, that means chances are you have the talent that you need to be there. You've got all the skills you need already. And the trick is, how do you separate yourself out from all the other people in line who are meeting that person? I I love that. And I think having done myself thousands of thousands of interviews over the years, I think that is really practical advice for how to navigate the why you left your last organization and what happened there, their type of question. So now I want to jump over into focusing on something that's near and dear to my heart as somebody who left the workforce shortly after COVID in 2021, after having my own experience with extreme burnout from having to deal with everything we had to deal with as women. We know that over over 2 million women left the workforce at that time and throughout that process. And, and there, there has been, I think, a return to the workplace. What is it that workplaces can do or what is it that workplaces are doing to start to bring people back? What is it that you're seeing and experiencing in this space? So first of all, as you said, millions of women left their jobs 
during the pandemic. And I think some of the reasons, reasons vary, of course, but some of the reasons are that they got frustrated. And sometimes during the pandemic, okay, before pre-pandemic, every most people were working five days a week in a physical office that was not in their home, right? They were commuting to the office and they were navigating the various personalities at the office, right? And doing their tasks. And then they were maybe jumping into a car or subway or train home from the office, commuting, right? And then the pandemic happened and nobody was allowed to go to the office. In some cases, some people are still not back to the office. This condition lasted like three months at the least to a year, that pandemic period of time. And according to a lot of experts, it takes 21 days to create a new habit, right? And we were out of our offices for like at least three months during the pandemic, and in some cases, 12 months or even like a year and a half, right? So new habits formed and people learned, oh, I can do my work at home and I don't have to do the commute and I can take care of my kids. And my cat can crawl in while I'm working. And as long as I master the technology skills, I can be more productive than I was there. And a shift happened, a gigantic mental shift happened among women and men during the pandemic, right? And a lot of people prefer working from home rather than going into a subway every day and or whatever, a car and commuting for over an hour. And also it cuts down on the politics. You're just doing your job. Nobody's looking over your shoulder. You don't have to cater, kowtow to the boss as much. If you have to take a day off during that, you can probably arrange it. It's much, much better for most people then for most workers, they feel it's much better. Now, bosses, many of them don't feel that same way. They want people to come back. And this leaving the job thing that happened with to a greater extent among women, because they have child, they have childcare needs, right? And they have more of the brunt of that. And also they're paid less, unfortunately, still to this day, right? Like 80 cents to the dollar or whatever. And so for various reasons, women left more even than men did during that period of time. But many managers and bosses want people to come back. They want women to come back to the office. Now, in order to do that, I think the big lesson that was learned during the pandemic is to be more flexible. And if a woman has to leave to uh, go to the doctor, take care of her child, go to a meeting at her kid's school, a boss should be able to give them that flexibility. They should have learned that to trust the people who work for them more and to allow people to carve out their own schedules. So I think that's like the biggest thing is to say, be flexible. If somebody needs to take off half a day on Friday or even Wednesday, whatever it is, be flexible and trust your people that if they get their work done, you don't have to be like micromanaging the process so much. Why do you think there is such resistance or desire for by by bosses, by leaders to 
bring people back to to want to go back to a traditional model of working? What do you think is the is feeding that that challenge? I think it's partly anxiety because I can't watch my employees, right? So I don't know what they're doing. And so I think that there's that, particularly possibly among like middle managers. I think you don't know what you don't know. I think also it's a little bit tricky to have meetings that are both on Zoom, let's say, and in person simultaneously. That's a little awkward for people. And I think that the time zone flexibility that you need to be able to manage different people, possibly in different states, possibly in different time zones, you have to be more organized in a sense to do it that way. So I think that is part of it. Also, their real estate costs. I live in Manhattan and real estate here is like fantastically expensive, unfortunately, right? So all these companies have paid for the real estate, right? And that's it. They have like leases and everything and they have paid a lot of money for the real estate. So they're looking at it and saying, if my employees don't come in here, why am I spending all this money on this really expensive real estate? Now, there will probably be like a major retraction. And I know in Manhattan, where I live, there already is. A lot of buildings are being converted to condos now because the real estate needs are different. But if you're a boss and you're locked into some sort of a contract for a couple of years and you're paying all this money and nobody's there, I think that could be frustrating. And I also think that new techniques need to be developed when it comes to brainstorming, right? It's possibly more challenging to brainstorm on ideas over Zoom or um, not in person than it is like when you're all in a room, like the energy level is different. And so all of those things require some adjustment. It's just being like a little more creative and trying to be flexible. I've also heard from various people at different companies that Sometimes, like right now, there's the hybrid model, and a lot of companies have a couple of days when people do come in, and then a couple of days when they're at home. And sometimes the hybrid model doesn't work that well because the people are coming in on different days. And so the chance for that in person brainstorming, the energy of it, um, or like a meeting, let's say, with a client or or something like that, it's not working as smoothly. When people on the same team are coming in on different days, when it's too mm-hmm. lackadaisical and you could just pick whatever days, it doesn't seem to work as well as somebody saying, a boss saying, you know what, we're working Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. That's what we're doing. We're coming into the office those three days and the other two days you're working from home or something like that, setting a schedule so that people are off on their own thinking on their own time and then together on the same time. So some of these are just, you know, it's just getting used to a new model. Yeah. And one of the things I've, I think that's helpful. And I think one of the things I've encountered at least is there's a lot more childcare challenges. The aftercare program at my son's grade school is, it has wait lists, right? They're, they don't have enough people to fully staff it. So that's not hugely detrimental. My husband and I both re- work remotely so he can come home on the bus at 4.15 and we're here. 
in our past life, if we had both been physically in the office, he would have been coming home to an empty house. And and likewise, there's a shortage of childcare providers in general, which makes getting childcare more challenging for those types of situations, which I, I think is one of those kind of factors that then factors into people's willingness to say, can I do it? Can I not do it? How do I make all the things in my life work together? Exactly. Plus, I think another thing that we haven't really discussed yet is I think a lot of people moved during the pandemic too, right? Because it seemed for a while like all work would just stay remote. And so people moved and now they're there. Because I've also heard a lot of stories of like companies wanting their people to come back in to the office and people saying, no, I'm not coming back into the office. Worker empowerment. But I think it takes some adjustment on everyone's part. So how about for women in particular, what can really entice women or or what can workplaces do to try to bring that back into the workplace to get them reengaged or or reconnected in the way at the levels that we had seen historically? So I'm a big believer in putting women on the leadership team. I just am. It's hard for a company to say, oh, we're really pro-women. If you look there and then everybody who's like important is a man. So I would say that's like the number one thing. And a lot of times, some of the mentorship programs have disappeared at companies. And I feel like that's another thing that they really should be doing. They should be trying to have mentorship programs, helping people. Another thing And I think this applies equally to men and women. I would say onboarding has become very difficult when it is like Zoom only. It is very difficult. And I think that's something that companies really have to improve. They have to figure out how to train somebody who's new. And now it's like a double training because it has to be the old training coming into the office and that training, but also like how to work with others across various platforms, shared platforms, perhaps Zoom meetings. How do you do that? And I think much more attention has to be paid to that. And word of mouth is important, too. Because a company can say, they can say, we're great and we're terrific and we're like, we're a great place for women to work. But if the word gets out that they're not, they're not, right? So all those things like mentoring and and onboarding in particular, I think is really important. And I also feel like they should have more opportunities for women, like not just to move up necessarily in an organization, but also possibly like horizontally to develop more skills. Like I think we're moving into an economy where it's just all about the skills, even more than one's title. So to provide the opportunities to develop the skills, the training, paying for education, all of that's what will bring women back. So do you think that workplaces are our leaders are focused on this, they think it's important, it's an issue, they're looking for these answers, or is it lower down in terms of their priorities or their their focus? Are they looking at how can they make more investment in people's development and growth and the skills training you were just talking about? Or is that not even on their radar today? I think it's across between being on the radar and not being on the radar. I think it's like there's a medium ground with it. It's a little bit like 
the diversity initiatives that are happening at companies, right? There's a diversity initiative everywhere, but are the companies really changing what they need to change to be more diverse? And so these things, sometimes they happen slowly, but I think it's on their minds, but I don't think it's necessarily executed the best it can be. Another thing I was thinking in terms of bringing more women in is that the, is the way that the job recruiting works. A lot of times when you read something for a job, there's coding in the way that the job is described. If it's, oh, we're looking for an aggressive rainmaker to come in and shake things up. Like it just screams like male, you know? Like some of the language around how job ads are written should change. And also, I think there's a way to mask the gender information too in the initial hiring. And I think that could also help bring more women in. Because a lot of times, and I don't think there's nothing mean about it, but there's a, a lot of times I think that there's a bias that people have when they're hiring. Like they tend to want people similar to themselves. There's like a bias. And to get rid of that bias, it would help to mask the gender information on the first pass. Obviously, when you meet somebody, that's a different story. But when you're filling out like the applications, et cetera, that, that can happen. But it's a slow process. I know that for decades, women were earning 70 cents to the dollar that men were. Now it's 80 cents. <laughs> it's a very small trickle upwards. But still, conversations like these, especially with companies, I think it helps improve things. I, it's interesting as we think about the all those kind of priorities and the focus and bringing women back to the workplace and the change that people went through in in the process of working remotely, of learning those skill sets or learning how to do that. And one of the things I've thought about recently from the neuroscience lens is that people that spent a number of years working remotely have really honed those neural pathways, have really honed those ways of working. And so when you get them back into the workplace, it's going to be a struggle, probably even greater than the struggle that it was to work remotely because it's such a it's such a shift without a clear reason why without a clear this is why i have to do this or why i have to be here other than just somebody saying that they have to right and so i have to believe that is a real skills development hurdle as well for workplaces to have to retrain some of those how do we work in the same space how do we collaborate effectively how do we do those things that maybe were second nature before but now are not. And in some cases, probably people are more likely to still send a team's message or versus walk over to somebody else, or it's a change in wired behavior. How much do you think that is also impacting the current workplaces and their effectiveness and the, the experience that people are having? I think that's an excellent observation that you made. And I feel now I don't, this is not based on fact, but just my own anecdotal experience. 
I feel that there are more introverts in the universe than extroverts. I don't know why. I just feel that way. And when everybody worked at home, I feel like that benefited introverts. And being in an office situation and talking to people and brainstorming and getting along with your boss and all of that, I think that benefits extroverts. So it could just be that we all have to learn again, relearn how to be with people and their different skills. The the guy that's a salesperson that takes his client out and plays golf with him or goes drinking with him or whatever, that's a different personality subset than somebody who's like great at tech and gets their job done like three times faster than everybody else. And then it can even help people through the technological hurdle. They're diff- everybody has different skills and, and different uh, different ways of being, but we all retreated into our private home offices during that period of time. And we all got better technologically. The other thing that happened that we haven't really talked about is that we all had a chance to really think about whether or not we agreed with the mission of the company where we're working. Are we happy? Do we like the tasks that we do? You know, are we rewarded? Not even just financially, but just in terms of, hey, great job. You did a fantastic job. Thank you for helping us. Are we getting the credit that we deserve for that fantastic idea, that wonderful report? Or did somebody above us steal our credit? This type of thing. It was just like a collective, even just subtract that one hour of commuting a day or more. It was just a collective thought experiment, almost, the pandemic, in how we thought about ourselves. Am I getting recognition? Am I getting happiness? Is this job fulfilling for me? Forget the money. Would I be doing it if I were not being paid anything? Do I see myself here in 10 years? We all had a chance to think about those like deeper questions that sometimes like just buzzing around an office, there isn't time to think about that stuff because we always have to be on when people are coming in and chatting with us and everything. We're not doing the deep thinking. And I feel that with women, like when they really thought about it, they said, you know what? I'm really not that happy or I'm being paid, but I'm being paid. Okay. But then I'm also have to pay for childcare. And to some extent, it's canceling it out. Like, how fulfilled am I? Yeah. And the other thing I think of, too, is we know by nature women have a tend to be more empathetic, more in tune to emotional experiences and the emotional experiences of other people. And we know that when people are in the same space as one another, that we can actually feel each other's emotions, that whether it's our whether it's the frequency in our voices, whether it's the neuromagnetic, the magnetic field of our hearts or how our hearts will sync up. And so if an environment is really toxic or if there is a lot of high levels of stress, negativity, lots of varying heart rate variability, people in stress states, I I would guess that women going back into that space are probably going to be really impacted as well, that they're going to feel the effects of that. And likewise, when they went remote and they got to be away from that, they probably felt the benefits of not having to encounter that all of the time or deal with some of those challenges. And it's hard to want to re-expose yourself to something that 
quite literally feels not good, feels stressful or, or detrimental to you somehow. I agree. It's very hard to just have constant stress and not have that impact your health, your mental health, but also your actual health. And it can be very tough. I feel like the hybrid model can work in terms of the office of today. I think it can work with some adjustments. I think it can, I think most people probably want a little bit of socializing with the people that they work with. And for some people, it really fills a need. People, young people coming in, like it could just be helpful. And I also feel it can help be, it's, I think it's, if you're in the kind of job where you have to sell something to somebody else, I think it can be helpful to be in the physical room with the person so that they can feel like your passion for it and they feel your energy. And I think that that can help. So I feel like the hybrid model is probably a good thing. On balance, I think with tweaks, it can probably work rather than just being like 100% remote. But I do agree with you that people really discovered that it was great to work remotely and productivity went up during that period of time. That's the other thing. I think that most managers and bosses felt like productivity would decrease during that time. But voila, it turns out that workers can be trusted to do the work on their own, shouldering the responsibility on their own, and they don't have to be nagged to do it. Yeah. And you know what I think is interesting is that, so we know now definitively productivity went up. So people were able to remain at least as if not even more productive when they worked remotely. But what I think is interesting is that as that, as people develop those skill sets and figure out how to do things more efficiently and weren't wasting time in unnecessary interactions or the other things, right? You talked about the commute and some of those things. I think what we discovered was that left on our own, we'll figure out the best way generally to get things done. What works with us? How do we maximize our energy flow? And what ends up, I think, almost coming through in the push to bring people back to the off physically, office physically is this distrust over time that I need to know I'm getting my time with you. I need to know that I'm getting enough of your hours. And there is some fear. There are people that are able to work two full-time jobs at the same time and be meeting and exceeding expectations because they're good enough to do that. Right. And and without the other employers knowing, you can't do that if you've got to have somebody physically in the office, if they've got to be present for a certain number of hours, right? And so I think it calls into question in my mind how much those that are making decisions are really educated in and understand how humans perform and what in what context do people perform at their best and why? What is it that's creating that result? And in what context do they does it decrease performance? Does their do their results actually become less effective, not just in terms of productivity, but in terms of accuracy and effectiveness as well? And I'm not sure that I would believe actually by and large, most of the people making those decisions don't have a good understanding of how neurobiologically and how neurophysiologically, how people actually operate at their best. Part of it is just a habit. 
I don't feel like all bosses are evil or anything. I just feel like there's a habit and the habit was for decades, people came to work. And then there was this horrible thing called the pandemic. And now people are, it's like post pandemic and people are trying to adjust and make the best. And there, there are people who don't like to learn, right? And so snapping back like to the old way is a good habit that they know how to do it. And then there are people who probably entered the workforce during the pandemic. And then those people, that's the way that they like to do it. They just like to be in their home offices working and not with people. And then there's also the hours thing too. Obviously, if somebody is online and can be reached 24-7, that has a stress factor too. If they're at home, but I can always reach so-and-so. I can always reach Joe. I can text him. I can email him. I can get on Zoom with him. So to some extent, the productivity gains that first happened during the pandemic, it's we have to look and see if that continues or if some of it's eroded. Same with the stress factor. We have to see if people's tolerance that was so, was so beautiful in a weird way during the pandemic, when everybody was in this horrible situation, the silver lining was that we developed new technology skills, like our bosses trusted us more, we were more productive. But there's a lot of things that are distracting about working at home from a computer too. There's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's all the social media. We don't know how it will ultimately shake out. If everybody will just be at home in their silos working, or there'll be a hybrid model that will continue, or everybody will mostly go back physically to the office. We don't, we can't, we can't prognosticate the future. It's just what seems to be the best model now. But I think that one thing we know is that if we are flexible and we try to make the best of it and just try to be adjust to people's time differences and their time rhythms and we give them enough quote unquote rope to let them do their stuff, that's probably the best way to be, whether it's in person or everybody's online. Absolutely. And and who knows, we're not probably far from where there really is the ability to be virtually, physically in the same place with virtual reality and the way things are going with virtual and augmented reality without having to, to physically travel or without having to do the commute. Right. So there, there will, we will work our way into the, the solutions one way or another. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So I love your suggestions. Any other thoughts for women who are trying to figure out wh- where to go and how to get their me- needs met as they're looking for as they're looking for these roles and as they're looking for new opportunities? How can they navigate the world of work now? One thing I feel very strongly is that if you're working right now in a company and it doesn't have a mentorship program, I say don't despair because, first of all, you can start one, okay? That would be something you can do, help other women. But the other thing is I personally do not feel that the mentors need to come from the same company that where you're working. I feel it's important to surround yourself with a circle of people who are knowledgeable, who care about you, and who will help you get ahead. And these people can be people that you worked with in the past. They can work at other companies. 
doesn't necessarily have to be female and they can be younger than you. They don't have to be like senior. These are just people who care about your development. And I say, find those people wherever they are. It could be a family member. It could be somebody that used to work in the company where you're working, but doesn't have to. And it could be somebody from a different field. It, I would say, try to surround yourself with people who are helpful beings. And then when you encounter a situation at your office, you can turn to your circle and you can say, this is what's happening. What is your best advice for how to navigate this? And so I'm saying, just like we're saying, don't be too set in your old ways, like feeling like you have to work in an office five days a week or it won't work. It's the same thing with a mentoring program. You don't need the program. You just need the mentors. And then when somebody, when you find those council of smart people who care about you, just, I would say, try to return the favor to other people who might be reaching out to you and who want your help mentoring them. I love that because it puts the responsibility back into our the ability to take action back into our own hands rather than having to wait or rely upon systems, cultures, workplaces to evolve or change to meet to meet our needs more effectively. So I love the, those suggestions, those recommendations. Vicki, this has been great having you on. I'm curious if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom or things you'd like to share with our listeners as we bring this to a close. I would just say that it's helpful to feel like you always are learning. And that's one of the great lessons that we got from the pandemic. We all had to learn technology better. And the more you can put yourself in the frame of mind that you always are going to have to learn new information, I think the better off you'll be. Like, don't hate change. Just say things are changing and it's going to be quick and I'm just going to have to adjust with it. I'm going to have to learn that new technology, the new way of doing things. I'm just going to have to go along with it. And don't fight it. Don't fight it. Embrace it. Because those who can embrace change best will do better, just no matter where you are. I, I think that's so helpful. And I we always say that no matter what you do, you're always going to be evolving and changing in response to your environment or your experiences. It's really whether you choose to do to use it intentionally, you choose to do so in a way that benefits you and positively impacts you and in, in your life. And so I think, yeah, I love that advice for our listeners to always be embracing and looking at how do I move through this change to get to where I want to be, to have the experiences that I want to be having rather than resist or try to or try to get to stay in a current state of existence. So Vicki, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. It's been so great to have you with us. For our listeners, don't forget to go check out her books, especially 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions. I love it. So helpful for everybody who's out there looking for a job. For all of our listeners, as always, I just want to remind you to always keep 
evolving, keep growing, keep looking at opportunities to rewire those neural pathways so that you can live your best life so that you can have more exceptional experiences on your life journey. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll be back again next week with another episode. 